Hello everyone, Callie Hannah here with a quick disclaimer from the future, 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 future. <laughs> the episode you are about to hear was recorded prior to my public coming out as a transgender woman. As such, you will hear myself and others refer to me by my dead name and he, him pronouns, and that is not how I want to be referred to now. I, well, I go by Callie and I use she, her pronouns. Uh, the rest of the episode has been left as is for the purposes of historical preservation, but uh, just know that it is not accurate to my current uh, gender identity. Thank you, and enjoy the show. The hipster and the nerd. Yes, hipster and the nerd. The nerd. One went to the genius. The other is quite absurd. Exactly which is which. Off the fence is which. Yes, good sir. The hipster and the nerd. 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 Hipster and the nerd. Created by Steven Spielberg? No. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hipster and the Nerd, the podcast where we discuss. Movies, TV, comics, video games, and all manner of geek and pop culture to see what we can make of it. I am Chris Hanna. With me, of course, is my co-host, Brian Brecker. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm pretty good. So, um, you know about the aliens with the roulette machine? Oh, yes, yes. The, the deep lore. Yeah, yeah. Well, they have actually captured me, and um, I am now floating somewhere above Jupiter, and the movies are being sent via a uh, neural transmitter. So that's kind of interesting. They they let my cat go because I think they found me more interesting than my cat. Oh, that's why this is going to be going up on a Saturday rather than mm-hmm. our usual right. Thursday date. Right. 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 It was because I was I was kidnapped by some aliens <laughs> that um they forced me to watch Invasion USA starring Chuck Norris. Oh man, the the Chuck Norris memes. What a what an era. You know, it could have been anybody. It could have been some, an actually good actor. It could have been Mr. Like, T. that's in better movies, like Robert Zadar. When are we going to watch some Robert Zadar movies? I don't know. Why wasn't it Mr. T? Mr. T's way cooler. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about two movies, Batman and Robin, and Lone Wolf and Cub Sword of Vengeance, which are very different movies, but I think there's actually some similarities. Uh, first off, they're both based off of comic books. Well, I'm um, actually Lone Wolf and Cub is based on a manga. Mm. A manga is a Japanese comic book. <gasps> oh no! If you can't say that out loud, you'll upset the weebs. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, and Batman and Robin. And by the way, both these movies have an older man and a younger sidekick go on wild adventures. Oh. And both of these movies have villains and plot. <laughs> And uh, they're basically the same movie, if you think about it hard enough. This is the second episode of Rocket Ship Roulette, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, by the way, this is part of the recurring segment, Rocket Ship Roulette, that we do on this show, if you are new here. So the aliens gave me this machine, and it randomly picks movies for us to watch. And there's actually been a change in rules. Um, So if we land on a sequel now, we have to watch the sequel. Yes. What do you think about this, Chris? I mean, hypothetically, you know... I'm all, you know, I'm I'm one for variety, so I do have to admire the aliens um, going for variety. But I also feel like it could lead to some very disastrous consequences down the line. It's true. There, isn't there like eight or nine Children of the Corn sequels? There's a Monos sequel. 
and a There's prequel. A Manos the Hands of Fate sequel? And a prequel. Oh my god. Well, we're going to have to get to those. <laughs> Eventually. Yes. So, true. which movie do you want to talk about first, Chris? Um, given that I have it in my notes first, I think it would I would like to start with One Wolf and Cub. Okay, sure, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to be perfectly honest here. I I enjoyed this movie, but okay. It was a little hard to follow for me because um it is in Japanese and with English subtitles, and I have a hard time following subtitled films where the audio isn't in my native language. This is just like a personal problem. That does sound like a personal problem. Well, it, it is. I admit it is a personal sensory issue with me because I yeah. have a difficult time keeping track of because I'm distracted. I'm my, my attention is pulled between two different sources between reading the subtitles and following the action on screen. It is so what you're saying is I should tell the aliens to put a lot more foreign movies on this. Or, is that what you're saying? No, actually, no. It's like actually legit hard for me. Like I'm fairly oh, yeah. certain I, I actually developed a minor migraine. <laughs> oh, dear. Process. I'm sorry. Well, um, I can explain some of the plot for you if you want. So the movie is released by Toho, which is, of course, the same company that did all the Godzilla movies. Which I have in my notes, yes. Um, so this movie is set in a very particular time in Japanese history. Basically, okay, so before the Tokugawa rose to power, there was a very long civil war between warring clans. The shogun, who is like the military ruler of Japan, nobody started, nobody was following him anymore. So they all warred against each other in the 16th century. And this led to a whole bunch of conflict and intrigue, which led to the Tokugawa shogunate being created. Oh, shogunate is how you pronounce it. Okay, good. Yeah. (laughs) And they consolidated power. And what this movie is about, historically, is that centralization of power through several fictitious organizations all conspiring against one uh, executioner. Yeah, because, okay, so apparently what I was able to gather from the beginning of this movie is that the shogunate, yeah, so they have, like, dominated the rest of Japan. And there's, like a bunch of like ninjas and assassins and spies that go after this like one guy who like okay i can i can explain this a bit more if you want okay thank you <laughs> so um when you think of who runs japan you might think of the emperor but the emperor actually didn't start being powerful again until the meiji restoration in the 19th century so before this the emperor was mostly a, a spiritual and kind of ceremonial figure and the people that actually ran Japan were the shoguns, which were right. basically military dictators, kind of. They're hereditary. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's what a shogunate is. Okay, then. They introduce a lot of things in the beginning, such as the rise of the Aniwaban. I, I think I'm saying that incorrectly. I'm sorry. Who are ninja spies, the Shikaku uh, assassins, and a spy network operated by the, Kura, the spy network of Kurakua operated by the Yagyu clan, which is sort of like the villain of the of these movies. Yeah, I definitely, I, kn- I knew about, I think I knew about that part, yeah. Yeah, um, so the Yagyu clan is sort of operating this secret spy network and are trying to take, take out a bunch of different people, uh, particularly lords that disagree with the Tokugawa shogunate. And this actually starts with the very first scene that we see, which is... Um, uh, a young child entering a room where he is forced to sit down and be beheaded by the executioner. What did you think of this scene, Chris? Well, that was um, 
that was certainly a way to open uh, the movie. I think I, I put in my notes here, like, why is their Lord going to die? So I think in the midst of trying to take notes and following the subtitles, I might have slightly missed the actual action of the child being decapitated but uh yes the child the child kappa was detated yes that did Uh, okay so the reason why the child is going to be killed is because he's he um is either the son of a lord that whose family needs to be eliminated by the tokugawa shogunate who are trying to centralize power i think that's what's happening um and the executioner is our main character ido agami who is the shogun's special executioner yeah, and, uh, I, yeah, he's like uh he's like a sword for hire. Well, he's a sword for hire later. Oh, um, oh, yeah, right. Okay, yeah, so he because, starts as their executioner. Right, because this like... story is actually told out of order. Oh. Then we get the title sequence, which has the iconic uh, image of him and his son walking down this white path, and um, both sides are fire and water, and like there's a storm, and it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, that's visual. a very cool image. Then what it cuts to is actually something that happens later in the story. So this is chronologically later, and that's when he is off being a, a sword for hire and a son for hire with his baby cart. Yes. <laughs> because um, the reason why he has a son for hire is because he needs some money, and there's this Japanese woman that whose uh, child died, and uh, she's like, oh, I want I want to rent this child for five minutes. Yeah. And he's like, okay. So that's, that happens. Yeah. So, what happens next, Chris? Okay, so if I remember correctly, so they go into this, uh, they take shelter in this uh, woman's... I wasn't... Okay, I wasn't entirely sure. Maybe this comes up later. I wasn't entirely sure if this was just, like, a woman or if, or if it was, like, supposed to be his wife. Or, oh, okay. Or, so you're yeah. really not getting this. Okay. No. So, uh, so the scene where the sword and the sun for hire is chronologically later, and then we flash back, oh. and... and Irogami is with his wife and um, the wife gets killed by the Kurukua Yagyu spies. Uh, they enter his home and they kill his wife and he vows vengeance and waits for the inspector general to show up. Okay, I got that part. I, th- mm-hmm. I guess I thought those were the... Th- I did not realize this was out of order. Yes. So, I was... <laughs> so oh, the God. part where he becomes a sword for hire is after when he kills the government officials because oh i have a i have a hard enough time keeping track of some out of order stories when they're in english because oh oh god <laughs> it's okay don't worry i'm here i've seen a bunch of weird freaking movies and i can deduce what's happening okay <laughs> so the yagyu show up and they claim that he is a traitor to the shogunate and the spies that entered his house planted the tokugawa insignia in his memorial shrine and they're they take and that's this as bad like, yeah yes of course because they take this as like a, a symbol that he's going to try and destroy the Tokugawa. Now Ito, being a smart motherfucker, he deduces that it was the Yagyu who set him up. And then they have that moment where the villain laughs and he's like, ha 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 ha. Yes. <laughs> and then and then Ito kills them all. And the action in this movie is amazing. Oh yeah, this what is where we get the, the um, yes, the action is fantastic. This is where we get the sword fight on the waterfall, right? Yes. Oh my god, that's the and that bit where he kills that one guy with like one swipe. Oh yeah. Freaking awesome. <laughs> the action in this movie and all these movies actually, the movies have incredible consistency and quality because they were all made back to back is just fantastic. I love how when someone gets cut in this movie, there's like a blood hose and it spurts this red mist everywhere. Yeah. Uh the fight goes out to the waterfall and um 
There he kills the last one of the retainers that was trying to take him down, and he looks up and Ratsuru Ura Yagyu is watching. Now, when they when he refers to the Yagyu as Ura Yagyu, I think this might be like a linguistic barrier I'm not quite understanding, like a language barrier thing. Because when he says Ura Yagyu, it seems to differentiate from the Yagyu as if there's a secret Yagyu clan that can only be called by Ura Yagyu. Possibly. I, th- I If I recall... <laughs> I'm overthinking this. Hold on, I had the Wikipedia page open. Maybe that'll All right. explain it. Anyway, so he vows vengeance and that he will walk the white path between fire and water. So then we cut back to him in the baby cart because that was a flash back. And now we're at the present, which is him in the baby cart. Does that make sense? Yes. And also Wikipedia is not giving me anything about. Uh... It's, it's a fictional thing. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay, so a local lord meets with Ido Agami and requests that he assassinates four people. And he actually sends in two of his own men to die just to test him to see if it's Ido Agami. Yes, that Remember does that? happen. <laughs> yes, that's a great that's a great scene. Um, what happens next, Chris? I'm going to keep asking you this because I, I like hearing you being correct. Okay, so if I recall, if my notes are correct, this is the part where we there's the ninja ambush, and he gets he gets ambushed by the ninjas, and yes. Um, they're, they form a plan to ambush uh, Kenmutsu at, at Gonomori. And Gonomori yeah. is like the... Uh, that's the hot spring. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you got it. Um, so a lord has been gathering uh, against a rival, and Ido must eliminate them. Ido offers the baby a choice. And I love this scene. I love this scene so much because this is also a flashback. So when Ido offers his child the choice, he gives... He puts down a sword. He holds like a samurai sword and a ball. And he has his son, Daigoro, go to which one that he wants as his destiny. And the, the, the child goes and he touches the samurai sword. And then his dad's like, you would have been much happier if you were in the never, never world with your mother. Yeah, my, my th- <laughs> yeah because I, I wrote in my notes, it's like, become an assassin or go to the nether world. <laughs> yes. I don't think, is that, can you really make decisions at that age? Not of one year old. I don't think decisions of that magnitude could be made at that age. Mm-hmm. So now chronologically after this, which of course is in the past and not uh, later when he has the baby cart, he gets out of his home and Retsuda Ura Yagyu is there and he, and he has all these assassins and ninjas surrounding him. But he has a trick up his sleeve, Ido Agami does, by wearing the Tokugawa Hollyhock crest, like his assassin uniform. And they are they can't touch the crest because that would be offending uh, the shogun. Does yes. that make sense? Yes. Yes. So Retsudo has his you know Retsudo, he's the guy with the mustache and the beard. He's kind oh, of like the big villain of the entire franchise. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah. So Retsudo has his best retainer, Dual Ido, and Ido Agami beheads him in this amazing special effect. <laughs> yes. I love it. By the way, I'd like to point out that this movie has a very interesting and unique way at which it conveys information and how it goes from scene to scene. Mainly that there are many scenes where there is no sound, no music, no even atmospheric sound. And then there is and then that's usually punctuated by violence. There's actually a really great video essay on this movie called How Sword of Vengeance Uses Silence. 
and there's just entire scenes of this movie that builds tension by being absolutely silent. Interesting. Yes. And he had thought of the ball because he, with the baby cart, was going down this road and saw two girls playing with the same ball that Daigoro rejected. Right. Yes. So, Ido arrives at the hot springs spa. And what do you think happens next? Okay, so he goes to the, the hot spring. Yeah. Okay, so they're in the hot spring. It is um, hot in the spring. There's this thing about bats being outsiders. Bats being... Oh, yeah, yeah, because um, they have a little thing where they talk about bats and bats being outsiders, and that's why the spa is named after bats. Yeah. So they have, like, an almost Temple of Doom moment where they're going over the bridge, and they threaten to cut the bridge, and then he's like, well, you're not going to be able to go very far if you cut this bridge. Yes, that, that does happen. <laughs> So then what happens is the criminals, uh, it's like these criminals that seem to be like ex-Ronin, I think. They take his katana, and then they rape and murder a woman in front of him, which, yikes. Uh, yeah. What do you think of that scene, Chris? This is the scene I'm going to ask your opinion on right now. Uh, that felt a little gratuitous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could have done without that, especially considering that it makes Ito look worse by not intervening. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, Ido is technically on the demon path to hell now, as he says himself. He's trying to get the bad ending. <laughs> exactly. So he doesn't care. He's just oh, out no, for no, no. vengeance. No what, ha- no, what actually is happening is he that he's trying to get enough uh, chaos points to get on the, the neutral path. He wants the neutral ending. <laughs> oh, you mean like Shadow the Hedgehog, the video game? Maria. Technically, yes. I feel like the more pertinent reference would be like Persona, but. <laughs> then we have the most bizarre scene in the movie where one of the outlaws challenges Ido Agami to a duel, but a prostitute intervenes and defends his son. Then the outlaws demand that she have sex with them, and then Ido steps in instead. <laughs> and this is his heroic moment. <laughs> It's very bizarre. What did you think of this scene, Chris? It was a pretty cool um, final battle, I'll give it. Like, again, all the action in this. Now, we're not through the final battle yet. I was oh. asking, what do you think about this prostitute Oh, character? the prostitute. Um, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> definitely a bold choice by the, by the prostitute. She's like, I am so honored to have this samurai. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Is that problematic? I think that's probably somehow problematic. I mean, considering this was made in the 70s, um, yeah. Well, not everything from the 70s is problematic, Chris. Okay, then, then, yeah, not everything. But, you know, considering... Most things were. Considering that we are in an era of the past and the touchy subject matter um, at hand, it's probably a little problematic. (laughs) I wrote, Ido makes love to her instead to save her. And then I wrote, hot question hot question because i'm not quite sure how i'm supposed to feel about this scene bow chicka bow wow question mark i don't don't know so um the target shows up to the hot spring and many believe the outlaws will kill all the civilians that live in the town and he pleads with they plead with the samurai to protect them yes yes so ido and dairo get in the hot springs and the prostitute enters and they have a nice little moment where they talk but the outlaws are scheming and decide to leave the town, so they decide to try and kill the remaining ronin that are trapped inside the town. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So th- then there's this great moment where the main outlaw remembers who Ido Agami is, and there's like a flash, there's like a zoom in on his face, 
And he's like, what? And he remembers that that is the state's executioner who has been trained in the ways of the blade. Ah. While you were out watching <laughs> Batman, I was studying the art of the blade. I still love that image while you were busy being heterosexual. I studied, I studied the blade. the art of the blade. So then they all fight. And this is where my notes turn into all capital letters because everything gets amazing. There's swords in the carriage. Yes. Yes, there are. <laughs> so the carriage being booby-trapped is something that will go on later in the series. Oh. In much more interesting ways. Oh, oh so it gets more and more elaborate as, as the films yes. go on. <laughs> and so they fight and die. One guy gets de-legged, like his legs get cut off. Then another guy gets decapitated. Uh, there's a giant head slice where a guy just where he just bifurcates the man's head vertically and then the movie ends with uh him taking the boy yeah. and walking away and thus well, the, i wrote the i wrote in my way. notes uh and thus ogami and his son went about their merry way after murdering everyone yes exactly and then there's but there's, there's there's one scene before that where the prostitute goes after ogami and's like i want to go with you and then he like he threatens to cut the bridge and he's like no don't do that <laughs> don't, don't do that and uh, yeah and that's how the movie ends what did you think of Lone Wolf and Cub, Sword of Vengeance, and what do you think about how The Mandalorian totally ripped off its concept? <laughs> I, li- I like to think of it as in- inspiration. Homage. Okay. Yeah, homage. It is very, it's very fascinating to me as sort of this historical artifact in terms of inspiring The Mandalorian, this, you know, this, this show is, that has become like, you know, this huge cultural thing, you know, Baby Yoda took over the internet entirely exactly but they should have been talking about daigoro uh baby yoda's cuter daigoro is way cuter than baby yoda okay this is my okay i'm gonna have a hashtag hot take here is that in general puppets and animated characters are just across the board cuter than regular human babies so are you saying that you would prefer to raise kermit the frog than a baby Maybe. <laughs> well, tea drinker, I'm going to have to disagree with you. Absolutely. Because this child in this movie is, one, an amazing actor. That's true. I don't understand how they got this kid to act, but they did, and it's amazing. And secondly, he is totally adorable. Look, he's and... cute. Don't get me wrong. The baby's yeah. cute. But, like, you know, when you look at, like, a puppet or a cartoon character, they can be, like, gene- be like designed from the ground up to be adorable. They have a distinct advantage over humans here's another hot take is that um i prefer this to the mandalorian Mm, i think i don't i don't know i don't i I definitely do because um the mandalorian sometimes just feels like a greatest hit session of star wars okay yeah but the mandalorian doesn't have any women being uh, gratuitously assaulted so that's true but that that doesn't exist in the sequel which we will eventually get to which is uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, Baby Cart at the River Styx, which has a higher rating on Letterboxd than this movie actually does. I see. Overall, what would you say, uh, what, what are your opinions on Lone Wolf and Cub X all the Mandalorian stuff? I think it is a very, you know, solid action film in its own right. You know, again, it was a little bit hard to follow just because of my own issues, but I did have a good time and, you know, 
it's and again the action's great you know these are clearly very good actors the gore yeah the gore <laughs> gore the, the effects soundtrack are incredible is underrated oh yeah yeah that's pretty good too um yep so yeah this is just a great goddamn samurai movie i think you know like one of the best like i had my i had a couple issues with it but like overall it's really solid stuff besides the gratuitous stuff do you have any other issues besides um that? well the the gratu the, the the gratuitous stuff and I, again i will admit that this is fully personal but it was a little bit hard to follow because of the and again that is that is on me and not the movie but it does yeah. like impact my enjoyment is there a dubbed version of this movie i, I don't think there is i don't if there is it's not on it's not on streaming Right, because this movie was released by the Criterion Collection, and those are people that are, ooh, subtitles. Yeah. Got to watch it with the subtitles so you can hear the original actors. And that, I'm kind of that way too, you know, but I understand why people would prefer a dub. Anyway, so let's go on to Batman and Robin, a uh, far superior uh, movie. Oh, oh boy. Oh <laughs> So boy. first off, let's talk about Joel Schumacher. Yeah, I think we, we need chose to. This, we chose this movie before Joel died. Very tragically. Yeah. Um, well, he was older, but, you know, it's, it's he sad died of cancer. to see He, was, uh, he was around 80. It's still really sad. And, uh, you know, obviously do we, we have to address... If we're going to talk about this now, we have to address the elephant in the room. Um, it's that he just he just died. And this was completely coincidental, and we did not plan this. We did not this. plan this. And I, yeah. I hope to God this segment is not cursed. <laughs> <laughs> it very well might be. I don't know. Um, and I also you know, to, like, address sort of Joel Schumacher, and I'm sure it's something we'll get into as we sort of talk about the legacy of this movie. I do think Joel Schumacher deserves to be remembered for more than a couple of Batman movies that may not have been as good as the other ones. Oh, yeah, I agree. Because, um, I and I need to, I will fully admit that I need to look into more of his filmography. I know I need to see, like, yeah. Falling Down and... The Wild Boys. But the, the Lost Boys, the Lost Boys. The Lost Boys, I'm so sorry. The Wild Boys is a French art film, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And by all accounts he always came across as like a genuinely nice guy. Like he he even apologized. Yeah, he's apologized for, for these movies. So And also I don't think these movies are that bad. Yeah. I don't think the Schumacher Batman movies are as bad as people say they are. I would agree I would generally agree. I mean, and we'll get into it. I don't think this is necessarily good. Like I can't really call this like a quote unquote good movie it's kind of got too many issues in substantial areas that to from like i'd say i enjoyed the first 90 minutes but the fact that it's nearly two hours long really kind of made me yeah it, do, check it doesn't out really at need a to be this point. long and yeah. it's just kind of it's very much it has problems but its problems are not the things people say they are yeah and it's under it's it's misunderstood yeah, I will say Batman it and Robin is misunderstood. And so deserves... I'd like to go into the production history just for a second. Oh yes, go go ahead because this is this is this is kind of crazy. <laughs> so Batman Forever was released in 1995, and it was such a big hit that they decided to immediately fast track production on a sequel, uh, Batman and Robin. So Joel Schumacher is brought back to direct. Val Kilmer was unable to return because he had scheduling conflicts because. Uh, usually they would put three years in between these Batman movies, but this time they decided to go only with two years, um, which yeah. still... Also, uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, the scheduling conflicts were with the Saint on uh, yes. Val Kilmer. Yeah. 
So um, other interesting facts about this movie were that um, parts of the script were entirely rewritten when Arnold Schwarzenegger was cast as Dr. Freeze. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it had all the one-liners. <laughs> oh, boy. I actually wrote down most of the one-liners, and we will talk about them all. Oh, oh boy. Um, other interesting facts is that um, Patrick Stewart was considered for Mr. Freeze at one point. Oh, my God. Oh, that would have been so much better. Like, <laughs> oh, God. oh, my He's God, that would have been amazing. Bald. Holy shit. I want that so badly now. Like, Matt, so, Matt Reeves, get on that for the next Batman movie. Patrick Stewart is Mr. Freeze. <laughs> Make it happen. So, George Clooney said, I was in a rubber suit, and I had rubber nipples. I could have played Batman straight, but I made him gay. Unquote. Quote. George, is Batman gay? Someone asked. To which he responded, no, but I made him gay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just an amazing, which is just an amazing uh, conversation <laughs> to have, because <laughs> there's okay. There's, um, okay, so the big elephant in the room, and I think we should get to this before we even talk about the plot of the movie, is oh that God. Joel Schumacher, especially in the 1980s, was one of the only major Hollywood out gay directors making mainstream movies. That it. That is true. Yes. Yeah, and when he put the badass and the bat nipples. On the Batman, um, there were a lot of people that disliked this movie because they said, quote, it was too gay or some combination of that and some other way of saying that. Um, and I think that's incorrect because Batman has always been gay. There is, um, I mean, I don't know like, if I can... Like, there is a long history of gay subtext in Batman. Okay, well, I think, yes, but also some of it is certain people reading too much into things to try and discredit comic books because of the well, whole yeah, like th that happened in the 1950s with the comics code authority they made batman have like a love interest because they considered batman and his young sidekick just being the only friends that they had was too gay even though you know batman is his adoptive father but you know whatever right. <laughs> well look okay even this movie there is there there's some gay shit going on in this Look, movie. It, Let's be honest. There's some very, there's some shenanigans going on it's here. It's definitely very camp, and camp has yes, and camp is intrinsically linked in one way or another to the gay. <laughs> yeah, well, camp uh, comes very much. I'd say if we go bring it back to its earliest roots, I'd say that camp. Well, it's a combination of things. It's it's cheesy affect that is intentional. And I think its connection to LGBT life really started in the 1970s or 1980s with the gay drag ball culture. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a whole documentary about this called Paris is Burning. Um, and I, it's, it's a really good documentary, and I think everybody should watch it. Um, but besides that, so that's where that those two things are kind of connected. And Joel being a gay man, uh, I think definitely shows in this movie a little bit and yeah. i'd say that that is one of the positive things about this movie that i is... like the bat nipples yeah okay <laughs> i don't hate the bat nipples i <laughs> i'm just confused by the bat nipples <laughs> more than anything else like i have nothing in inherently against them but i question them <laughs> why why someone would make that like, Chris O'Donnell, who played Robin, said that it wasn't the bat nipples that were the problem. The real uncomfortable piece of the costume was the cod piece. Okay, yeah, I have to <laughs> imagine. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, uh, I, I like it solely for the fact that it's ridiculous in the kind of way that, like, look, all superheroes are drawn, especially back in the day, as a sort of hyper-masculine ideal. And when you get right down to it, that is pretty gay. <laughs> okay? And what Joel was doing was simply bringing that subtext to the text. Anyways, let's actually talk about the movie. <laughs> no, no, I have one more thing to say. Okay? <laughs> and that's that these design choices are great because there is the joke where Poison Ivy says it's great to have an anatomically correct rubber suit. That and is, that line is hilarious. That's true. That is a line in this, All in right. this movie. Now that we've gotten the elephant out of the room, elephant. besides the other elephant, rest in peace, Joel Schumacher. Rest in peace. Let's yeah. talk about the plot of the movie. Okay. So it starts <laughs> with an icy Batman logo and a dramatic flying of actor names in robot font. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, by the way, Arnold Schwarzenegger actually has top billing in this movie over, you know, the guy playing Batman. And that's I insane yeah uh, i'd also like to point out that this movie starts with the bat nipples and the bat butts. yeah because uh, yeah it starts with the suit up sequence and very much emphasizes <laughs> the bat nipples and the the bat ass <laughs> and i wrote so i'd also like to point out in my i wrote hold on hold on hold on one second i wrote in my notes when that happened uh well those suits certainly uh accentuate <laughs> they do they, they really do. Right. You were saying? Um, I, what I was going to say is that a lot of the design choices in this movie made things look like toys. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I think that actually works in some cases. Like, the Batmobile looks awesome. Okay, I this is where I'm going to disagree with you. I like the I like the aesthetics of... The, I mostly like the aesthetics of this film in terms of this sort of campy, neon, like sort of adam west callback but also kind of modern techno stuff like yeah. i like that for the most part what i'm not a fan of is when it's applied to things like the armor and the vehicles because they give them all this weird veiny aesthetic that i'm just that just is off-putting to me like i wrote in my mm -hmm. notes why does the batmobile have veins like it doesn't have veins it has straight marks well you know what i it's like very the, different like Chris. the the, the rib cage thing mm -hmm. like I, oh because it looks cool i don't i don't i'm not a i'm more are I, you saying I, this is gauche well i don't i don't know what it is honestly it's just more it just seems weird to and off-putting to me i'm just not I, it's just not an aesthetic i find appealing and i'm so not the first the first line of this movie the first spoken line is i want a car <laughs> chicks dig the car and then Batman turns to him and says, "This is why, why Superman, Superman works alone." Which also, <laughs> which also implies that Superman does exist in this universe. So, I, I guess that I guess there is an interconnected DC continuity. Maybe question mark. <laughs> maybe this was supposed to also be in the continuity of Superman one through four. Oh, you know what it might have been because I believe this was around the time where they were planning Superman Lives the nick oh, cage one yes. so maybe the plan was to have this connect with with that movie and then maybe they do a like a crossover bit or something like that yeah that what that would have been an interesting uh... 
So they drive off into a Dutch angle tunnel. <laughs> yeah, the Dutch angle tunnel. There's and so many Dutch like... angles in this movie. Yeah, not not as many as Thor one though. Um, not as many as Battlefield Earth, which I have seen because of course I have. So then Commissioner Gordon comes up on his little on his little TV screen, and no joke, the first thing I thought of when this happened was Major Monogram from Phineas and Ferb. <laughs> Good morning, HB. Anyway, so he's like, I'll cancel the pizzas. And then he starts crying because he oh, has yeah, Al- Oh, yeah, Alfred. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Alfred's like, I'll cancel the pizzas. So then Commissioner Gordon comes up on his major monogram view screen and tells Batman that the evil Dr. Doofenshmirtz is up to his old tricks. But anyway, I think you're forgetting to mention that Robin gets his own bird cycle. Yeah, he has the, he has his Robin cycle. Yes. He has his Robin cycle. So the mayor calls Batman and tells no, him No, it's not the mayor. Mr. It's Commissioner Gordon. It's Commissioner Gordon? Yeah, it's Commissioner I'm Gordon. I'm sorry. They made Commissioner Gordon look weird. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> or at least I, I I'm, thought pretty it was sure it was, I'm pretty sure it was Commissioner Gordon. I thought it was the mayor. Anyway, so Gotham City in this movie actually looks amazing. It looks like if Rand's, if Ayn Rand's aesthetic was good. <laughs> That's the best way I can describe this. Like, there's these gigantic ghost statues with interlinking cities. It's like Howard Rourke from The Fountainhead design the entire town it looks like uh someone's... i can't believe i'm talking about ayn rand in a positive way it looks like <laughs> so, it looks like what would happen if you got a neon punk garage band to take an architecture class like that's gotham city in this movie <laughs> oh yeah so dr freeze has taken over a museum and turned it into an ice skating rink because of puns <laughs> because... um Oh, First God. thing he says is the ice man cometh oh god okay your so we are going mercy. to get into my <sighs> look I, w- I want to give this movie credit because I, d- I do genuinely think it's not as bad as people say. But I have my opinions about Mr. Freeze. <laughs> because-, <laughs> because first of all, his armor, while mostly fine, is once again the... It has that veiny ribcage thing that I'm not a fan of. And um, the other thing mm. is, okay, so... Those of you, so for th- for those who don't know me, Mister Freeze is like my favorite Batman villain. Like I think I this, did I did not know this. This character is fantastic, and it's mainly because he has a lot of uh, pathos to him. Um, for if you've never seen the uh, Batman the Animated Series episode Heart of Ice, which I highly recommend, it is fantastic. Um, basically, in that episode, which gives him sort of the backstory that would later be incorporated into the canon comics and also this to movie. an extent this movie and we'll get to the problem with that in a bit but basically where he was like a, a good man he was a scientist and his wife Nora got diagnosed with this this terminal disease so in order to like what's help... the syndrome called again well in the movie it's called McGregor syndrome in right. like things like Heart of Ice in the comics it kind of just it it's a disease. I think some other later sources call it McGregor syndrome as well, because I think that's what they called it on Gotham as well. Uh, I don't know if the comics ever incorporated that name or anything. So like is it, did Batman and Robin coin the name of the disease? Yes. <laughs> okay, cool. And so the whole idea is that he does what he does. He does his criminal activity solely because he's trying to research a cure for his wife. And that gives him a lot of pathos on top of just being like a cool guy with cool armor and a freeze gun. So what do you think of Hercules in New York playing this character? <laughs> okay, here's the You thing. are not Hercules. I am Hercules. <laughs> I am Hercules. The problem 
with this is, okay, so Mr. Freeze was technically invented by the, the Adam West show. And in that, because that was before they invented the backstory, he was just a guy with ice puns, effectively. And that's fine yes. for an Adam West show. The problem is, the problem is they try to do it both ways here, and it, 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 you can't have both. You can either have him be the ice pun guy, or you can give him some actual real pathos and make him a really cool and kind of dignified villain. You can't, you can't, you can't do both. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you for a second, okay? And that is, this is my argument, Mr. Freeze is a husband. Yes. And husbands can be dads. <laughs> and puns are dad jokes. Therefore, it's in his character to be making all these jokes. Like, he could just have a lot of pathos, but just be a total dork. But he's not. You know? a, oh, and here's the thing. There is a way to do funny Mr. Freeze. Everything and, freezes. And, without and there's also a way to do that without just resorting to ice puns and keeping the pathos. Case in point, the fantastic Harley Quinn cartoon on DC Universe, it. which you should all watch if you haven't. I haven't seen it. You should. It's amazing. It's fantastic. There's a season okay. two episode where they have Mr. Freeze played by a Dr. Octopus himself, Alfred Molina. And Ooh. Yeah. And they actually, like, do an episode where Harley's trying to, like, take over his territory of Gotham, but then they realize, oh, wait, Mr. Freeze is actually, like, a genuinely nice guy. Why are we doing this? We're assholes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, what I think you're missing here, Chris, is that you're not sending me to the cooler. Uh, anyway, yeah, okay. so Dr. Freeze goes for the diamond because Dr. Freeze is Because he can't of think of a cheaper power source than diamonds for right. some reason, which is not the case in the comics, by the way. It's just him in this movie is dumb. <laughs> then we have a moment where George Clooney says, I'm Batman, Hi, and no one believes him. Hi, Freeze. I'm Batman. <laughs> Hi, Freeze. I'm Batman. He's the casual Batman. <laughs> so, okay, here's my problem with George Clooney in this movie. George Clooney does not have the self-awareness to play this role. Okay, slight... I, I agree with you on the that fact that George Clooney is not good. I slightly disagree on why. Because the thing is, I think George Clooney knows the kind of movie he is in. And I think he is actively attempting to do a sort of Adam West-type shtick. The problem is... His heart's not in it, and he doesn't have right. the energy for it. Right. What you need is somebody who will embrace any stupid concept that you give them, like Kurt Russell. I actually pointed out that Kurt Russell would have been a much better pick for Batman in this movie if he cut his mullet, you know? Now you're just making me think of a version of this movie with Kurt Russell as Batman and Patrick Stewart as Mr. Freeze, which would have been, I know, it would have so, been so much better. Much better. <laughs> You will not stop my plans, Batman. So wait, I, is it Dr. Freeze or Mr. Freeze? Mr. Freeze. I'm his so villain sorry, name I... is Mr. Freeze, although I believe he is... His villain name is Mr. Freeze, but his actual, like, uh, original identity was as a doctor. I think he had a doctorate anyway. So he is a PhD. Yes. In what? Um, science. In cryo, in cryo I studies. I, something like that. <laughs> so Robin and Batman fight Mr. Freeze... Well, the more accurately, they fight his evil hockey player. <laughs> right, his ice skating goons. Which, uh, which is also a thing the movie kind of made up, because Mr. Freeze is not really a goon villain in mm -hmm. basically everything else. Like, he has, like, pet polar bears. But other than that, uh. he's kind of a solo act, generally. 
so Robin doesn't understand ice puns and calls them the hockey team from hell because th- that doesn't make sense. Because that's that's a fire ice mixed metaphor. Well, no, Chris. it's because it's gonna be a it's a cold day in hell. Oh. Yeah. Well, Batman and Robin have ice skates because yeah, they of activate they their bat skates now. Their bat skates in a store. And then, <laughs> of course, Mister Freeze gives one of the best lines in human history. What killed the, the dinosaurs? dinosaurs? The ice, ice age. age. <laughs> and then Mr. Freeze destroys the giant dinosaur. <laughs> he destroys the giant dinosaur. And then he has, then he gets weird butterfly wings and just flies away. <laughs> I'd like to point out that Robin's suit makes his ass comic accurate. Okay, you're not wrong. Because Nightwing. <laughs> you're not wrong. Although I'm that not ju- wrong. That sort of brings me to the... That's a sort of weird thing with Robin in this movie. Is that obviously... Okay, so the movie's called Batman and Robin. Robin and sucks in this movie. He does. Yeah, he, he does. And we'll get into the reasons why as we go on. Although he does kind of have a point as we get into later. But, like, he's... He, he, it's, the movie's called Batman and Robin. He is still Robin. But both of his costumes are much more Nightwing than Robin. So right. why didn't they just make him Nightwing? <laughs> um, oh, he is old enough to be Nightwing. He's it seems absolutely, like this is... He was old enough to be Nightwing in the last one. <laughs> he keeps thinking about quitting during this movie, so maybe this is like right before he becomes Nightwing. Yeah, maybe the plan was to do a Nightwing origin story. <laughs> right. But instead, what what that means is that constantly, incessantly, throughout this entire movie, Robin is just complaining to Batman about him not giving him enough credit or power or responsibility or whatever the fuck. Yeah. So that, it's really annoying. Yeah. So they so they start. So Batman goes to to try and catch Mister Freeze on his rocket thingy because he has a rocket. Because he has a rocket. Go into the icy cold of space. <laughs> icy cold of space. And Batman's... And this is where, like... This is where the... Uh, George Clooney is trying to be Adam West, but can't thing comes in. Because he has a line that's like, Freeze, stop, you'll kill thousands. But it's like so... He says it so much. Mon- <laughs> um, so they jump on the rocket, and the two surf through the skies of Gotham. Yeah, Robin they destroy the bomb Gowabunga. inside the rocket. So they're surfing through the sky... Just like uh, the movie Treasure Planet, which is amazing and much better than this movie. Um, I mean, yeah, that's not hard. And then they, they save themselves through using the Batarangs, of course. Also, um, Robin says Cowabunga during this so scene. So Mr. Freeze catches up with them, and Mr. Freeze <laughs> freezes Robin and says, Stay cool, bird boy. Stay cool, bird boy. And Mr. And then he effectively gives Batman the same ultimatum that Two-Face did in the last one. Yeah, yeah. But he, it's also it's different because he gives him the he gives him the dark helmet speech from Spaceballs. Oh, yes, that's true. He's he's basically going, "This is why you'll never win because evil because will always triumph. Always triumph because, because good, good is, is dumb. dumb. <laughs> will you choose to chase Mister Freeze or save Robin? And then, he, of course, of course, he says, "I'll kill you next time," which is hilarious. which is ironic considering this is like the George Clooney. For all the problems he has as in, you know, in playing this role, he's one of, I think he's the only, okay, apart from Adam West, I think mm-hmm. he is the only live action Batman who didn't murder anybody. <laughs> yes, that's true. Because Michael Keaton murdered a whole bunch of people in, across both movies, especially in Batman Returns. But people just like to forget that he did that. Yeah, for, for some reason. I don't know. Why. I, lo- mm-hmm. I, I enjoy Michael Keaton in that role, but he did murder a bunch of people. And... Um, 
Val Kilmer. Wait, did Val Kilmer kill anybody? Um, I'm not sure. I don't. Kill, I, I, did, did, would Riddler count? Yes. Okay. But so what did he do to Riddler? Because he. Wait, does Riddler go to prison or does he die in a? I think he goes to prison because they were trying to set him up for uh, showing up in the Arkham Asylum in this movie, but there were scheduling conflicts. Oh right, okay. I can't remember. It's been too long since I've seen Batman Forever, so I don't remember if he killed anybody. I forget everything about Batman Forever. I don't remember anything about that movie. I like that. Um, I, I think that movie's kind of underrated, but um. Okay. Yeah. But um, Batman thaws out Robin, and they cut to the middle of the jungle with stop motion lizards. Oh cut, yeah. Then we get uh, this spooky castle. <laughs> Complete yeah, with Uma Thurman. <laughs> Uma Thurman's working on animal plant crossbreed. <laughs> yes. Um, we have an evil doctor scientist guy. Oh yeah, Doctor to... J- Jason Woodrue. Who I refer to in my notes as Doctor Forrester. Actually, um, um, in the in the comics, and uh, uh, Jason Woodrue is actually the Floronic Man. What? Yeah, the Floronic. What is the Floronic Man? man? <laughs> the what he's... the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Floronic Man. It's he's got, he's a Swamp Thing villain. So he's like a big oh, swamp guy. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, so Dr. Forrester from Mystery Science Theater 3000 is creating Bane. <laughs> Who looks really to, bad. <laughs> he refers to the Ununited Nations, which is bizarre. Uh, Bane gets all muscly. Yeah. And okay. Yeah. I feel like everyone this forgets that. This is still that... the best live action Bane. No. Um, yes. Everyone forgets that Bane is in this movie. And I can understand why, because A, he's basically a complete non-entity. He's practically a glorified henchman um, in this movie. And also, I think people would want to forget how bad this costume is. Because my god, that costume it is, is a terrible. Bad, it, like, it is a bad costume, it's, but it's still the best live-action portrayal of Bane. Okay, but... Because The Dark Knight Rises is the worst Batman movie. Hot take. <laughs> nah. Nah. It, it, its plot makes no sense. It goes on way too long. Batman isn't Batman for half of the freaking movie. Um, Bane has this weirdly political goal throughout most of the film, which is only then revealed to not be a political goal because he's actually working for the Ra's al Ghul ninja clan who happens to be Batman's girlfriend. It's the most convoluted and stupid plot ever conceived. I'm sorry, I really hate the Dark Knight Rises. Look, I'm not a big, I'm not big on The Dark Knight Rises either. And in retrospect, it might be the worst Batman movie. That or Batman v Superman, maybe. That that's not be. a Batman movie. That's no, a it's, it, it movie. counts. It counts. No, no, that that's that's poisoning the well, Chris. <laughs> if we count Bat, if we count Batman v Superman, then I would say Batman v Superman probably. Even though I don't hate Batman v Superman, but that's a different conversation that we'll get to eventually. Um, probably. But, um, so yeah, um, so Poison but the thing Ivy... Is, okay, hold yeah, on, because I want to I want to make a... Okay. I know this is slightly off topic, but I want to... But here's the thing. This Bane never gave us anything as glorious as Tom Hardy's Bane voice from The Dark Knight Rises, which is a comedic goldmine that has lasted Gotham us City. almost... Have <laughs> you heard about change? Gotham is yours for the people! for the people! Um, yeah, no... Fuck, fuck Bane. Fuck Tom Hardy's Bane. But it's that bad. voice, though. No. It's it, bad. It, it, but it's so amazing, though. The best thing about his portrayal of Bane is the facial acting that he does with his eyes. But the voice is terrible. But that's why it's so good. No, no. Okay, and I like Tammy and the T-Rex, and I'm saying no. Uh, so Dr. Forrester's, Dr. Forrester sees Poison Ivy... 
uh, is watching and asks her to join him. She says no because she wants to save plants. <laughs> Dr. Forrester, um, so, so then he's like, all right, but I'm afraid you have I'm to die. I'm afraid you have to die. <laughs> and then knocks her over into a bunch of chemicals, including one that's just simply titled Venom, uh, creating poison ivy. What well, Venom next? is what uh, Bane uses, but yeah. Yeah. Yes. What happens next, Chris? Okay. Well, um, well, in between those bits, there's also a bit where they explain uh, Mr. Freeze's backstory a little bit more, and we see Arnold Schwarzenegger in his doctor outfit. Right, um, because they just happen to have video feed footage of his origin story. So then we cut to Mr. Freeze's nightclub, which is really bizarre to me, because the nightclub shtick feels much... That's more of a penguin thing than a mr freeze thing like this feels like if it was the if it was like the iceberg lounge it would make oh. more sense but like but no. he needs diamonds to keep him he cold needs diamonds and also singers to sing <laughs> the sing uh, uh miss sing a, mr I'm white mr. christmas i'm mr cold i'm mr I actually sang that once for a theater audition and became one of the dancers i do not recommend um <laughs> So George Clooney and Robin see Dr. Freeze's backstory, of course, yeah. And then uh, they George Clooney and Robin fight. Don't they fight at one point? I think they have an, um, they, I think, yeah, they, oh, yeah, because they have the argument of, like, why didn't you trust argument. me? I could have done the thing. And then Alfred refers to him as Master Dick, which. Yeah. <laughs> look up the Wikipedia page for homosexuality <laughs> in the Batman franchise. I'm aware. Also, and so Alfred tells him to trust. Alfred tells Batman to trust Robin, and George Clooney reminisces. <laughs> um, Uma Thurman's blood has been replaced with aloe and skin with chlorophyll. But then, why isn't she green? That's a good question, especially because here's a, I don't know. Here, the Harley Quinn cartoon has gotten me so adjusted to green poison ivy that any non-green poison ivy now looks odd to me. Mm-hmm. Which is weird because most of the poison ivies aren't actually green. It's mostly just, like the most notable one I can think of is that one. But that one is the one in the Harley Quinn cartoon is like so good. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so a woman shows up at Wayne Manor and apparently she is the niece of Alfred. Oh, the, she, oh we're getting to the most pointless plot point in <sighs> perhaps the entirety of all of these movies. Why is Barbara here? And I why is she Alfred's niece? <laughs> and she has an orphan story background also. Is that in the comics? Um, no, because in, in the comics, Barbara is Commissioner Gordon's daughter. She's Barbara Gordon. That's, I don't see why they need Maybe needed... Alfred and Commissioner Gordon are related. <laughs> what a twist. So well, they, here's act... the thing. They never say her last name in this movie. Which... Yeah. Also, she was she lives she's lived in England her entire life and yet she has no British accent. Okay. This... I have a question. Why does she perform her character like this? This actress. <laughs> like she um it you know what it really reminds me of is Megan Fox in the Transformers <laughs> franchise. She constantly talks like this in a vacant way like she doesn't understand the meaning behind the words she's been memorized to say. Except Megan Fox it honestly, at least in the first one, has more agency and depth than this character does. Yeah, in the script. In the script, anyways. The framing does not do her any favors. Because Thank in- you, uh, Thanks, Michael Lindsay Bay. Ellis. Yeah. Thank you, Lindsay Ellis, for your several-part series, Deconstructing Transformers. The whole plate. 
highly recommend the, the whole play so alfred is looking for wilfred his brother <laughs> apparently his Alfred's brother's name is wilfred <laughs> come from a whole family of butlers okay i'm gonna make a very obscure reference right now that i might cut out netting but okay so there's an audio drama of doctor who called the chimes of midnight written by robert shearman and in it there is a character who's a butler archetype and he says i'm a butler i come from a whole family of butlers my father was a butler we are a modicum of self-restraint this anyway. sounds like a Phineas and Ferb gag. This legitimately sounds like a Phineas and Ferb gag. Well, that's because Rob Shearman is a great writer, and you should all pick up his book. Uh, he has several different short story books that are very good, and his Doctor Who work is also great. I legitimately thought you were going to say for a second that Rob Shearman wrote Phineas and Ferb. Well, that's actually interesting because Rob Shearman wrote Phineas and... No, he didn't. Um... <laughs> So anyway, what do you what do you what what happens next, Chris? Okay, so then we get so there's a brief scene of a uh, poison ivy and Bane in the taxi where Bane is wearing a fedora, which is even though I don't like Bane in this movie, is pretty great. The fact yes. that that the Bane is in a fedora. So then they go to this this press conference where jo- so George Clooney as Bruce Wayne, and by the way, George Clooney is a much better Bruce Wayne than he is Batman. He's like yeah, it's Bruce Wayne is actually pretty good. Um. And so they're commemorating this telescope thing, like this big telescope. Oh, satellites. They're satellites. Oh, satellites. The satellites show up later. This yes. is the. This is the. So there's planting of the satellites here, and then it pays off at the end. Clearly, very important uh, plot point. Um, yes. And then they ask uh, Batman if he plans to get married to his completely useless love interest in this movie. Oh yeah. And I, I before I rewatched this, I completely forgot that she was a character that existed, and I, yeah. it shows she is. Th- what I don't understand is why wasn't this was this supposed to be Nicole Kidman from Batman Forever? I don't know. I, I feel so, like this was at one point supposed to be Nicole. Kidman I have a from hot Batman take Forever. for you. I have a hot take. Batman has never had a compelling live-action love interest besides Catwoman in Batman Returns. Um. Um. Hmm. I think this Does, is okay. Hold on. I think this is a good opinion. Hold on. Hold on. No, I, I think I agree with you. Hold on. Does Wonder you gotta Woman, think about it? Okay. Does Wonder Woman and BVS count? No. Because they don't. They they're not even romantic. There's what are you some. There's about? some chemistry there. There's some what? There. I don't know. Maybe what? I'm maybe I'm importing stuff from the Justice League cartoon, but like um. No know. Wonder Wonder Woman is betrothed to Chris Pine. <laughs> Don't that, you know that? I mean, that's that's true. That's true. Anyway, so Poison Ivy tries to talk to Bruce Wayne about environmental protections, but he, as a good guy CEO, won't allow sa- thousands of his workers to die to save the dumb Earth. <laughs> Poison Ivy, and then uh, I have a question. Why is the moon from Majora's Mask on the invitation? I don't know. Okay, yeah. so Dr. Freeze reads the newspaper about Wayne's diamond ball. Yes. <laughs> So yeah. we so we cut to um, what I refer to as the Lion King Broadway auditions um, at the yes. uh, at the African Jungle uh, Bachelors auction ball thingy. These, these costumes are amazing, and there's They're, a dancing gorilla that yes, is Poison Ivy. <laughs> she blows her love pheromones on everyone. Yes, that there's is really thing. good music in here also. Yeah, Ivy has. Uh, I wrote in my notes. Ivy has big cabaret energy in this yes so okay here's the thing uma thurman makes this movie much better whenever she's on screen absolutely 
Yes, yeah. 100% agreed. <laughs> because she is able to act the way that Joel was wanted them to. So w- during the production of this movie, constantly throughout the, the filming, he would be on this high-rise thing with a megaphone saying, remember, it's a cartoon. And people and the actors thought that it was hard to engage with the story when he kept saying that. But I think Uma Thurman really took that advice to heart. Like, Uma, Uma Thurman both is, like, what, the only actor in this movie who both knows what movie she is in and knows how to be good in that type of movie. Right, because Uma Thurman is an amazing actor. Yes. <laughs> Not that George Clooney isn't. George Clooney just... is a good actor in other movies. So. Yeah. Um, so she flirts with George Clooney and talks about her wild oats. Oh, we should also point out that uh, by this point they have... Uh, are, they are in costume again as Batman and Robin, because they, yes. apparently the ball is going to auction off. Um, it, it, it auction off a woman. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. So it's one of those bachelorette uh, auctions. Um, That's not problematic. Well, I mean, I, I mean, it is for charity, but uh, mm. problematic for charity. Problematic for charity. So they bid over poison ivy, and then. Um, Batman whips out the Bat credit uh, card. The most infamous segment of this movie, the Bat credit card. And he says card. he never leaves the cave without never it. And I'd like to point out, on the Bat credit card is a little thing where, you know where it's a MasterCard? It says Goth card. Goth card, and, the ex- and uh, on where it says the expiration date, it just says forever. Mm-hmm. Although and I'd I'm like sh- to point out, okay, so for as ridiculous a concept as the Bat credit card is, um, the thing is, it actually, like card. it actually makes sense in canon because this movie has a, no canon what are you talking about no no in in batman in larger batman lore because, okay because this is a way that batman slash bruce wayne can make all of the purchases he needs for all his bat gear without them being traced back to bruce wayne because that's uh... the thing everybody says like you know like how you know bruce wayne's the richest guy in gotham how, how come no one can connect the dots because batman is making them through shell companies, companies that he has signed I think up you're thinking to too credit much about cards this. for. Hence, why he has a specific Batman credit card. It makes sense. <laughs> I'd also like to point out that um, we're not going to dwell on this, as some other internet reviewer of a nostalgia-lidden variety may have at one point in the past of the internet. A bad credit card. Stop it. No. No. Stop it. <laughs> Friendship ended with the nostalgia critic after he made the Pink Floyd the Wall review. <laughs> when are we going to cover that on the show? Oh, God. Maybe, uh, I don't know, add it to the roulette. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so I I don't control the roulette, remember? It's the aliens that choose Well, it. tell the aliens to add it to so, the roulette. <laughs> The aliens are the ones that actually told me that these movies have no canonicity because they, with other movies on here, we have to watch the original before the sequels, but the aliens told me personally that these movies are not even really that much of a sequel to each other. technically speaking, all four of the original Batman movies are technically supposed to be the same universe. Because, like, Michael Gao is Alfred in all of them, and it's, like, it's kind of technically meant to have... Bruce Wayne is technically... If you look at all four of them, Bruce Wayne does have a sort of character arc. Um, look, don't and, don't ask me. Ask the aliens. Ask the aliens. Well, 
I'll have to talk to the aliens about it sometime. All right. Well, so. you can call them at zoop doop dot ginging boomba la cool. I don't know if my that's... phone plan uh, has uh, intergalactic coverage, but I'll, I'll look well, into yeah, it. Well, th- yeah, just, that's just their digit code. Anyway, digit so, code. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Mr. Freeze crashes the party Mr. because, Freeze of course, he does. Mr. Freeze shows up in his freeze tank available in stores now. <laughs> okay, everybody. Chill. Um, Poison Ivy gives Mr. Freeze the diamond because they're going to start an, a wonderful, wholesome friendship. And also, uh, this is Mr. Freeze makes like a giant ice racetrack, which is still a less blatant Hot Wheels tie-in than uh, Green Lantern 2011. Yes. <laughs> so then what happens is um, Bane is in a monkey suit. Oh, yes. Bane is in the gorilla suit. And then um, Dr. George Freeze was- <laughs> It's a cold town... Uh, which okay i just like to point out that we can make a tier list of the one-liners in this because there is a wide variety of quality in them like 99... some of them are good and some of them are terrible 90 percent of mr freeze's dialogue is just ice puns like in fact you might be it might all be ice puns honestly don't you know that revenge is a dish best served cold <laughs> so anyway Batman captures Mr. Freeze after a chase, and Dick complains some more about Batman. Oh, yeah, Chris O'Donnell complete... has his big... Okay, so I, I wrote in my notes here that Chris O'Donnell has big uh, Robin in Teen Titans go to the movies energy, where anyone it's who's being seen... being too nice to it. Anyone who has seen the brilliant, uh, subversive, comedic masterpiece Teen Titans go to the movies will remember... <laughs> that Robin's story arc is about him wanting to be a solo act and getting his own movie and he has a whole song about it that's been memed to death (laughs) yeah Um, but the thing is is that he's also but but more to the point Chris O'Donnell look he is again he is a whiny bitch but he's also not wrong no he is wrong no he's not wrong because he is like you know, Batman is taking all the credit, and you know it's Batman and Robin, not Robin and Batman, and all that. Stuff. Like he's not, he's got a point. It's like, oh god. Okay, so here's the thing: is that it's a completely arbitrary and um. There's a term that some people use now called false conflict. For when there's an interpersonal conflict between two characters that really doesn't work or isn't based on anything, and this is definitely a false conflict. I mean. Yes and no. In the context of this specific film, it is more or less a false conflict. But if you're looking at it from, you know, a larger perspective of Batman and Robin's relationship, especially up to this point, it's not wrong. Yeah. Well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. Anyway, so Alfred makes a CD, which is a MacGuffin in this movie. Yeah. Um, And Batman and Alfred wax poetic about the deep significance of Batman, (laughs) a la Christopher Nolan. And then they put Mr. Freeze in Arkham Asylum. Yeah, so we get an actually... This is Was this the first live-action Arkham? Was that was Arkham in uh, the uh, the Michael Keaton ones? We don't know, because we haven't uh, gone back and watched them yet. Yeah, we're definitely... I mean, we are definitely going to cover them before uh, The Batman comes out. Uh, the, you know, the raw bat, bat and bat. <laughs> the Batman. I don't like that name. It reminds me of when Final Destination 4 came out, and they called it The Final Destination. Remember... Uh, no, I'm just thinking of the, uh, the, the animated series, The Batman, from 2003. Anybody I have no idea film? what you're talking about. The, the Batman. <laughs> what? Yeah, it was a, it's a 
car- cartoon from uh, on it from, ran from two thousand no not two thousand three two thousand four ran from two thousand four oh. to two thousand eight. Um, well, you know what I was doing in two thousand four. I don't remember anyway. <laughs> so, um, so he says, "Allow me to break the ice and the chilling sound of your doom." Anyway, so immediately after the guards, the, they attack the guards, and the guards faint. And uh, but then he gets shocked because he can't live outside of the cold zone. You see, yeah, unless he's in his his, uh, his icy nightclub. <laughs> right. So there's a glow in the dark black light hoodlums. Oh yeah, we go to the get, uh, the insane clown posse's nightclub. <laughs> yeah, they get beat up by Bane and Poison Ivy with cartoon sound effects. With cartoon, sound... you're Poison just missing Ivy... the Bam graphics. At this yes. Point. Poison Ivy puts weird seeds in the ground, and Batman's girlfriend Julie wants to get married, but Bruce. Ju- uh, yeah, Bruce Julie Wayne attempts to not be a to. complete non-entity in this movie and fails at it. Um. So Bruce Wayne sees Poison Ivy, and then we hard cut, and there's uh, this is the great moment for Batgirl's a character when she's oh yeah the completely out there pointless racing with the gang, the motorcycle gang subplot, which is completely okay. pointless. <laughs> I'd like to point out that I went through this frame by frame, and I'd like to point out all of the people, all the different groups of people that show up here. So there's a biker gang with a clockwork orange droogs, people cosplaying Amadeus. Uh, I think there are Mexicans in there. Uh, redhead wig punks. Some guy with Coolio hair. And Who might Juggalos. actually be Coolio. <laughs> is that Coolio? Is that it seriously Coolio? It might be Coolio. Oh my god, I hope that's Coolio. Because uh, according to this, Coolio was set to reprise a role in the sequel, in the planned sequel, as the Scarecrow? Apparently? Question oh, mark? that was supposed to be the Scarecrow? Why that would Coolio maybe? play the Scarecrow? That makes no sense. <laughs> I know. Hey, it's better than the other cast. Okay, and we'll get into this a little... You know, I'll I'll will save the reveal of the other guy that was considered for Scarecrow later because it's it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> and then this is when I wrote down this movie is nothing if not visually interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and that okay, and after this we get the other pointless subplot about how Alfred has uh Alfred's dying and uh Oh wait, you forgot that r- the racer that saves her is Robin. Oh yeah, because Robin saves her. And then they talk, and she tells Dick that Alfred's sick. And I actually really like the scene where Dr. Freeze whittles his wife and makes it spin on, like, a clock. I think that's an actually genuine moment for Mr. Freeze. If you want a way better version of that, watch Heart of Ice, the Batman the Animated I'm sorry, series. but I don't it's have just, Batman it's... the Animated Series. Well, you should. <laughs> I don't have it. Well, you can get it on, on, uh, it's on DC Universe. Well, that costs too much money, and they should just put that as part of HBO Max anyway. Well, you can get uh, HBO Max and DC Universe bundled now. So then, so then we cut to um, oh, and also, Ivy. Oh, 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 and also, um, while uh, while not Heart of Ice, Batman: Mask of the Phantasm, the animated series movies is on, is on Netflix now, so you have no excuse. Um, best Batman. Movie. I I but, do have an excuse, and that's that I need to get to good movies like Sleepaway Camp, Batman: Mask of the and Phantasm, Slumber Party Massacre. Mask of the Phantasm is a great movie. <laughs> Chris, I think you underestimate how much bad movies I need to watch. Mm, I think you overestimate it. I, I disagree. So anyway, uh, Poison <laughs> Ivy says, men, the most absurd of God's creatures. And then she kisses the guards and frees Dr. Freeze, or Mr. Freeze. I'm sorry I keep calling him Dr. Freeze. And Arnold and Uma have a scenery-chewing contest. It's very good. I'll help you grab your rocks. 
And then this is my favorite uh, Mr. Freeze line because it has nothing to do with ice, but it's also hilarious. He says, a laundry service that delivers. Wow. <laughs> and then he also tells them to always winterize their pipes because that's important. Also, and... I, put the, I put this in my notes a little bit later, but Ivy and Freeze's abilities are diametrically opposed to each other. This team up is doomed to failure. <laughs> that's why they're so good together. I I ship them honestly. <laughs> I ship Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, Mr. Freeze and Uma Thurman's Poison Ivy. Please stop. <laughs> so Batman and Robin talk about how they're over Uma, and then yeah. there's another very funny scene where they're like, "Great stems though, buds too." Yeah. And then and then George Clooney's like, "Yeah, those are nice." <laughs> oh, also there's a I I think that I think this came a little bit uh, before. There's a bit right right before that where um. Uh, Bruce and Alfred are talking to each other and at one point Bruce says not all heroes wear masks and I'm like oh boy that didn't age well <laughs> yeah yeah. the police we need to go back to feudal Japan and have samurai again okay so then so they so so Batman and Robin are in the uh, the, the facility place the freeze compound the freeze and they compound. find his wife and and then, so they get into a fight with Poison Ivy, and um, this is where we get a, one of the legitimately really funny lines in the movie, <laughs> where um, after the bit where Poison Ivy brings up the anatomically correct rubber suit, anatomically correct rubber suit, um, uh, George Clooney, and probably not only one of the most like legitimately great lines in the movie, but possibly his only good one, where he says, "Why are all the gorgeous ones homicidal maniacs?" <laughs> That's a good me? one. That is that is a good line. Um, so Robin turns on Batman for the third time to become Nightwing. Parentheses, not really. Also, there's, also, there's a point during this fight where they completely drop all pretense about this being anything other than a toy commercial. Because as as many people might know, uh, Joel Schumacher was put under executive pressure by the studio to put more stuff for toys in more it. More toys. More toys. Like, just to... And to, for you know to sell more merchandise and at one point poison ivy during this fight just goes that's why every poison ivy action figure comes with him <laughs> it's like that's amazing you just that's just a toy commercial you literally I just mean, dropped all breeds <laughs> i i'm totally fine with that <laughs> i mean like i'm not against it but like god damn <laughs> so poison ivy pulls the plug on mr freeze's wife because she's planning on you know um blaming batman and robin for this um, and then w what happens uh, next is that Robin turns on Batman. Yeah, yeah so, and then there we, there where he goes, uh, I want a Robin signal in the sky. Where I, and, I, and I wrote in my notes, no longer a sidekick. No, that's not me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Uma tells Mr. Freeze that Batman deactivated his wife, and then we get the frozen tear moment, oh, which yeah. is great. And then he goes, first Gotham, and then the world. Tonight. And then the other... And awesome line. Over. <laughs> Adam and evil. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I about that. So Batman and Robin fight again, again, again. Uh, Alfred gives the CD to Batgirl. Yeah. And so Poison Ivy seduces Commissioner Gordon. And apparently, Alfred uh, created a specialized bat suit on the off chance that his damn niece came to visit. Okay. Yes. <laughs> this is fine. Okay. <laughs> um so Bane destroys the bat signal and uh 
Batgirl reads the CD and finds out that Alfred is dying. Mr. Freeze takes over the satellites and uses the satellites to freeze Gotham. And then he says, tonight hell freezes over. Oh, yeah, that's where that... Um... Yeah. And then Batgirl becomes Batgirl. Yay. Yay. Uma Thurman is an amazing giant plant. And we have what might be the most oddly boring catfight in all of existence. Because you'd think a catfight between Uma Thurman and Alicia Silverstone would be amazing. <laughs> False. What kind of beats are best? <laughs> Bears, so Robin beats Battlestar, Battlestar Galactica. Galactica. So Robin uh, goes to visit and says that he, and she says, oh, you're turning over a new leaf. And then they kiss. And then he pulls off his rubber oh, lips. Oh, yeah, rubber lips are immune to your charms. Rubber lips are immune to your charms. They fight, and Batgirl makes Poison Ivy get eaten by her own plant, which doesn't seem like it would actually kill her. Like, her leg is still hanging out, and it only looks like a plastic effect. Well, I mean, that's more like because this movie looks simultaneously very expensive and very cheap. Yes. <laughs> so the first thing Batgirl does as Batgirl is reveal her secret identity to Bruce. <laughs> uh, they go to try and stop Mr. Freeze. Also, and Freeze I like the... freezes the city. Also, there's the bit where she reveals, I'm Batgirl. And, and George Clooney, and you can tell this is peak 90s where he goes, that's not very PC, is it? <laughs> Wouldn't oh, it be better to be bat person? <laughs> Bat person or Bat woman? And I'm like, Bat woman is a different character. Yes. She has a TV. So, show? yeah. They come up with this incredibly convoluted system with, of course, the satellites from earlier. Fire the photon to... particle beam off the so main here, here's the thing. Dish. This is where this is the part of the movie where I really check out. So I'm sorry if I might get some of this wrong. So they need to redirect the sunlight from the Congo. Yes, because it's morning in the Congo. Because it's morning in the Congo. <laughs> so then they'll redirect the light, and then that will thaw Gotham City. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, this Mr. is oh this is also where we get the action figure variants of their of their costumes. They get the silver costume. <laughs> yes. Which I actually kind of like. I like the silver Batman suit. A lot, actually. So the thing about this movie is that I I would have liked it a lot more if it was 90 minutes. Yeah. This movie goes on way too long. Yes. Um. So Mr. Freeze and Batman fight. Bane Let's deflates. Kick some ice. <laughs> so Bane gets uh, defeated, but he deflates. Like, actually deflates. Yeah, he deflates, and he goes back to being puny wimp guy. Um. Everything falls apart. Uh, also, then... um, am I the only one who noticed that the... 11 minutes seems to be like a recurring theme in the movie like they said we only have 11 minutes to do the thing or like this will be i'll be down in 11 minutes they say 11 minutes a lot I well noticed. um maybe it's a reference to spinal tap if anything, this one goes to 11 you know if anything it might be to emphasize that it's a cartoon mm -hmm. part you know cartoons are 11 minutes yeah. why don't you just make 10 louder this one goes to 11, 11. <laughs> Um, so Mr. Freeze begs to be killed, and Batman shows proof that Poison Ivy killed his wife. Yes. So, Batman and gang restored his wife, they, because they found her, found her, and yeah. apparently they restored her off screen. So Mr. Freeze gives them the cure, uh, to both his wife and Alfred. Because they had the same disease, and, uh, Freeze very conveniently had the vial in his suit, um... And then Mr. Freeze comes to take revenge on Uma Thurman, who is in Arkham Asylum. And then it ends with them all running towards the screen, and 
I think Alfred or someone says we're going to need a bigger cave. We're going to need a bigger cave. I'd also like to point out the end. I'd also like to point out that with the silver robin costume, it's it's sad that before the Titan show, this was the closest we had to a live action Nightwing. Like yes. that's depressing. <laughs> um so I want to What did you think of Batman and Robin? This movie is it's not good. I can't really in, con- in good content say that it is a good movie. It has too many structural issues from a screenplay perspective. The story is all over the place. There's false conflict. There's plot contrivances. There's there's plot points that go nowhere, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, it is fascinating to look back on it. Like, this is from the era when live-action Batman could be interpreted as something other than dark and gritty. Which yeah, we don't really get a lot of these days, if at all. Like, I'd say I like the aesthetics of this movie, um, but I think the pacing was off. I think it goes on too long, and particularly I think that the characters, um, they they're trying to ride the line between being having serious character arcs and being silly. And I don't think, I think it, it would have. Yeah. And I think it would have been better if they tried to have silly character arcs. Yeah, or, you, know, you know, for some, a silly movie, again, it's okay if they to were trying to be, because it's clear they were trying to throw back to the Adam West show, mm-hmm. in a lot of areas, they really needed to go all the way with it and get actors who would go all the way with it, and they just, they they didn't. Right. I would like to. Um, so I would like to talk uh, a bit about the canceled sequel, um, as well as sure. some of the legacy of this film. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so during the filming of Batman and Robin, Warner Brothers was apparently very impressed with the dailies, prompting them to immediately hire Joel Schumacher to return as director for a fifth film. Um, (laughs) However, writer Akiva Goldsman turned down an offer to write the script. In late 1996, Warner Brothers and Schumacher hired Mark Protosevich to write a script for the fifth Batman film, and a projected mid-1999 release date uh, was announced, with Los Angeles Angeles Times describing the film as continuing in the same vein with multiple villains and more silliness titled batman unchained although i've also heard batman triumphant as a potential mm-hmm. title for the uh, fifth script uh proto script had scarecrow as the main villain through the use of his fear toxin he resurrects the joker as a hallucination in batman's mind what <laughs> wait jack would jack nicholson return um but uh it was also hoped that jack nicholson would reprise the role of the joker Oh my god. And apparent oh don't get too excited. Um appar- Harley Quinn appeared as a supporting character written as the Joker's daughter. What? Yeah, no. Um What? What what what? How? And would would Coolio be playing the Scarecrow? Why would Coolio be playing the Scarecrow? So, all right. So, Clooney, O'Donnell, Silverstone and Coolio were set I'm to so reprise confused. the roles of Batman, Robin, Batgirl, and Scarecrow. But here's the thing. The other name that was ta- that was potentially going to be playing the Scarecrow? Howard Stern. Wait, you mean you mean Radio Howard Stern? <laughs> yes. Radio host Howard Stern. Yes. Phony phone call Howard Stern. Yes. Why would Howard Stern be playing cool? Would be not Coolio. Why would he be playing the Scarecrow in a Batman movie? I don't know. Also, I guess Madonna was going to be Harley Quinn. <laughs> so to bring up the the legacy of this movie, um, so this movie was kind of for it for a time was described as the movie that killed comic book movies. 
I don't know how true that is, but like it did in fact bomb at the box office and was critically eviscerated. Um, yeah. Especially on online message boards. Yes. And for a time it was, you know, it was perceived that like this was because of movies like this, comic book movies were seen as box office poison. Although then again, Blade, Blade only came out a year after this. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Well, Blade, X-Men, and Spider-Man are kind, were kind of the triple hit that the brought Renaissance. us back. Yeah. Yeah. But like... Um, so here's my opinion. Um, I think those criticisms are completely unwarranted. And even though it was a critical disgrace, and it was a commercial flop, and it may have led to less comic book movies going into production... You still... I don't understand why everybody wants adaptations all the time. You still have the comic book stories and the TV shows that were already made and the stuff, the new stuff that's getting made also. I don't understand why comic book fans, uh, at least at this time, were so angry at this movie for ending what were, in my opinion, slightly average movies. Well, I think, because, I think because at the time, c- comic book movies were still something that you weren't necessarily... You didn't know if you were going to get. Like, you didn't know when you were going to get another one. It's not like today where we can count on a new Marvel movie every six months or whatever. And you you don't know if there's going to be more. Like, right. But and they were rare. Like, Here's the thing, is that um, I think that if you really love something, I don't necessarily understand why you think it needs to be adapted. Because isn't the thing good enough on its own? I mean, it is cool to see it adapted. I definitely agree. But um, to say, oh, there aren't enough adaptations of this because this other movie bombed is not a reason to dislike that movie, I don't think. I I generally agree with you, but also, like, in terms of cultural context, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that uh, the assessment of, you know, Batman and Robin was kind of the end of this particular era is a wrong assessment. Um, I mean, it's maybe it not. Is I kind think of like the... the movie that killed comic book movies is a little too dramatic. But in terms of this was the end of an era. Chris, what do you think, Batman and Robin or Lone Wolf and Cub: Sword of Vengeance? Lone Wolf and Cub: Sword of Vengeance. <laughs> what? What do you mean? <laughs> yes, I agree. Sword of Vengeance is the better movie. I'd also of like course. to. There's a whole section on the uh, Wikipedia article for Batman and Robin about legacy. Um, that mm-hmm. I find really fascinating. Um, all right, in the uh, Batman the Animated Series episode Legend of the Dark Legends of the Dark Knight, there three teenagers discuss their ideas about what Batman is really like. They briefly meet a youth called Joel, whose idea of Batman reflects characterizations and costumes portrayed within Schumacher's Batman and Robin. The teens treat Joel's ideas with utter disdain. Oh. No. All right, here's the thing. In the Watchmen movie, director Zack Snyder and comic book artist Dave Gibbons chose to parody the molded muscle and nipple bat scene design from Batman and Robin for the Ozymandias costume. Um, okay. The film is referenced in the Batman the Brave and the Bold episode Legends of the Dark Might, where Batmite briefly uses his powers to transform Batman's costume into the same suit shown in the Schumacher Batman films before declaring it too icky. Um, additionally... <laughs> There were worries within Warner Brothers surrounding the negative critical reception of Batman and Robin and how it could come to harm the success of the subsequent direct-to-video animated film Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero, which was originally planned for release at around the same time as Batman and Robin, but was subsequently delayed. (laughs) 
Okay, However. here's the thing. Chris, no, no, I have opinions now, Chris. Okay. Chris, listen, I have opinions. Um, okay, so the way that all of Batman fandom has turned on the Schumacher movies, I think, is wrong. Okay, the aesthetics. So you might. It's okay to not like these movies, but they are in an equal and deserving part of the Batman mythos canon. Okay, um, and you can also see that the reaction against these aesthetics, which are actually rooted more in traditional Batman, has led to this dark and gritty mulch that is modern Batman movies. Like I like The Dark Knight, but would The Dark Knight have been better if it maybe had a bit more fun with its concept? Yeah, I think so. Honestly, like, I but would, everybody is afraid to be Batman and Robin again. You know, I would not. Di- I I don't disagree with you, honestly. Even though I can understand these reactions, and like, you know, I get a laugh out of Bat nipples jokes occasionally because you know it's yes. an easy target. But like, I do agree with you that I miss the days when Batman wasn't always so dark and gritty, and. It's why, it, especially, I, I, I always, I, in my opinion, all the best Batman are animated. And that's, like, the only mm-hmm. place nowadays where you can get a Batman that isn't, like, completely dark and gritty. Yeah. And so I, I miss that with the live-action stuff. And, and where is she? I, I hope, I hope to God that, you know, and that maybe the, the Robert Pattinson one or maybe with the Michael Keaton returning because that's also happening. Um, I hope we can start getting some of the fun back. In yeah, it's weird. It's weird when you're into an era of a piece of a franchise that has been considered to be, you know, out of date or too silly. It's, it reminds me of like how I like the the original Planet of the Apes sequels. Um, most people would never watch those movies, but if you actually sit down and watch the Planet of the Apes sequels, the original first three sequels to the first movie they're actually pretty decent movies okay well i'm not really you know. i'm not the, the second one is just kind of bonkers but i, I like, like beneath the planet of the apes i mean I, I i mean it's entertaining but i wouldn't call it good <laughs> what, I, what i'm saying is that um it seems like at least to me the franchise has solidified in this darker aesthetic that i'm not necessarily that into I, I again I don't well I don't I don't disagree with you honestly like <laughs> yeah and I think Batman and Robin was a huge part of how that happened yeah because mm-hmm. I because everyone so much of like the Batman after this well I, I would say nowadays a lot of Batman stuff is more a reaction to the Dark Knight either yeah. you know being trying to emulate it or pulling against it i would say prior to the dark knight all batman stuff was in one way or another a reaction to batman and robin like yeah. so, trying to push away from it or perhaps or even in some cases reevaluate it um yeah so um to end end this which movie did you think was better one wolf and cub easily lone wolf and cub yeah i agree yeah uh, it's it's a great samurai movie it's one of the best samurai movies i've ever seen because i actually haven't seen that many samurai films i need to see more i would I've say to watch more i mean i i have a limited knowledge of samurai films as well i would say mm-hmm. i would still say seven samurai is yeah. better but like this is I, this is pretty good 
It's pretty dangerous. I haven't seen uh, Seven Samurai. Seven yet. Samurai is very good. But have yeah. food with you because it's three hours long. And if you do what I did <laughs> and wait to eat later, you're going to be starving. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, what we do at the end of every roulette episode is we, of course, uh, spin the wheel to decide what we're going to be watching in, the, in two weeks from now. You ever think about how Jeopardy is such an objectively better show than Wheel of Fortune? Oh, yeah. I think about that a lot. God, who who the fuck even watches Wheel of Fortune? Wheel of Fortune has no structure <laughs> whatsoever. Just everything happens like completely <laughs> arbitrarily. Like, all right. So do you want to spin the wheel? Yeah, now? let's spin the wheel. Okay. All right. So we're gonna spin the wheel. Let's see. All right. We landed on number ninety-six. Number ninety-six. That is the day after tomorrow. Do you veto? Oh. Hmm. I hate the day after tomorrow. I have never seen the day after tomorrow. So I have still no... pick this movie. <laughs> I have no opinion. I have no opinion, but yeah, I'll, I'll veto. I'll veto. Okay. Time to spin again. And we landed on number 67, Hobgoblins. Hobgoblins? <laughs> so you must now choose between the day after tomorrow and Hobgoblins. I have no idea what Hobgoblins is. <laughs> Hobgoblins is a monster franchise that was made as a ripoff to Gremlins. Oh! Much like Ghoulies and Critters. Ah, it's, it's one of those movies. It's um, not very good. Hmm. This is a really hard choice. Um. The aliens didn't like you today. Hmm. Well, I mean, there, I, I know there are certainly uh, things on that list that would... Uh, that I that that would make me think the aliens hate me more than this choice, but um. Right, like Freddy got fingered. Oh God, I'm number nine. I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Hobgoblins or the Day After Tomorrow. So here's what I'd say: Hobgoblins is shorter, and the Day After Tomorrow. Yeah, it's it's a it's probably a better movie, but I don't know. It's your decision. I. I'm going to go with Hobgoblins. Yes! Hobgoblins. And it has so many sequels that we're going to have to eventually watch. Oh, dear God. What have I done? <laughs> All right. Time to spin the wheel again. We land on number 41. Number 41. That is The Crippled Masters. The Kung Fu, It's part of the Kung Fu Disabled genre. Oh. Do you veto? Um, let's veto just to get another option. Like. Okay. Yeah. All right, we landed on number 62. Number 62 is Howard the Duck. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, so your options today are The Crippled Masters, the kung fu movie with only one sound effect. It reuses uh, ad nauseum. And Howard the Duck, the George Lucas produced flop. The Crippled, the crippled Masters. The Crippled Masters. Choosing the Crippled Masters? Yeah, okay. The Crippled Masters. So next week, we're going to be watching Hobgoblins. Well, no, no, and no, no not next Ma week. Two weeks from now. Two weeks from now, we're going to be watching Hobgoblins and the Crippled Masters. Yeah, that, will, that of course, will be two weeks from now. Next week, I'm, I'm very excited because we get to talk about my favorite television show of all time. We are doing Steven Universe, everybody. Top whoa, 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 10 whoa. best episodes I'm very excited. <laughs> yes. And I will choose mostly Lars episodes. Yeah, I have my... I, Brian has not given me a list list of theirs. I have given them mine. Um, mm -hmm. 
I will get that list eventually. I get I get the feeling that it might just be mostly mine, but you know we'll see. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I hope you all have yeah. a great day. Yeah. And this the, was the hipster. Yeah. And the in nerd. the meantime, this is hipster and the nerd. We do this usually every Thursday. This is going up on a Saturday because of weird things that happened this week's schedule. Hopefully, with the next step, I hopefully we will be back on schedule for the Steven Universe episode and. We, we, we are going to be back on schedule, right? <laughs> yes, yes, we are. Okay, yeah, but we will be, yeah. We do this every Thursday. Ignore the fact that this is going up on a Saturday. Our normal schedule is Thursdays. Um, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, basically wherever you get your podcast. <laughs> Anyways, I am Chris Hanna. You can find me at MegaNerd98 on Twitter and Letterboxd. And where can they find you, Brian? Well, I think they can find me at um, Brian Brecker on Twitter. I know I didn't make a joke there. I usually do, but I didn't because I am evolving as a person. Yes. But anyway, thank you all for listening. We will see you next time.